Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome back, everybody. Time again for Kinescope, uh, the show about uh, the early days of television. Oh, we've already lost Gabe. John yeah. Suntress here. You like my indirect lighting? Here, I'll... Oh, let's see how mine fa- fares. Nice. There you go. Yep. Ian and I came prepared because uh, it's a very special uh, kinescope tonight as uh, we delve back, uh, really, a show that started in the late mm-hmm. 40s, one of the original uh, anthology shows, and that's The Great Lights Out. That, of course, prior to being a television show, was a great radio show as well, mm-hmm. and has a massive uh, Chicago connection. Oh, well, yeah. Arch um, Obler was – it. Um, I read – so I'm actually a bit of a – newbie to lights out but i did look up arch obler which was a name i heard for a long time it did say he was born in chicago yes and and was the show did the show come out of chicago the show came out of okay. chicago a guy named willis cooper who also was a big uh sci-fi and horror writer um he created the show but you're right under obler that's where it really kind of became like an insanely popular show. Willis Cooper did come back to the show, though, and in fact uh, was uh, part of the production for uh, television and developing it for TV. And, and Willis Cooper, I, I have to admit, uh, uh, there's no reason for me to admit this, but it was very embarrassing. So last week when you said, oh, Willis Cooper and Lights Out, my mind immediately said, oh, wow, the guy who created King Kong? Because I thought of Miriam C. Cooper, and then the other guy is yeah. Willis O'Brien, and sure. that was too mixed up in my head. It's one dude. It's that it's has nothing to do with the men who created King Kong. It's this for, Willis is spelled Y W Y L L I S. Right? Uh, was he also from Chicago? He was. The yes. show started here in the city and in as a radio show in the late thirties. Yes. And uh, and then it became, uh, you know, uh, it, it eventually moved to, I believe, New York. But uh, Arch Obler was also originally from Chicago. And as I say, mm-hmm. he kind of he's the guy that really made it famous. He had a lot of the famous radio shows. They did one uh, that Bill Cosby made into a parody sketch about a chicken heart. That really is this great sci-fi horror idea of a, a chicken art that gets get, keeps getting bigger and bigger and engulfs this city and finally engulfs the world. The end. Or Cat Wife, where it's kind of a were cat, where like the title says, a man suddenly is watching his wife slowly become a cat, and it's really creepy. That's okay. Here's the thing. Uh, so I listened to a few of the radio shows in addition to watching the 
television uh, episodes that we'll talk yeah. about. But for people who do not know, and I had recently discovered, Arch Obler was um, a madman in terms of his storytelling. Like, this is a guy who was telling stories, uh, you know, radio stories in the 30s and 40s. But he was, I almost want to say he was the David Cronenberg of his day in terms of, like, body horror. It, it, even, and the fact that there are no visuals you would think would hurt him. It only makes it more effective uh, the way sound effects are used and the way people react. The, the, it's truly when it becomes a theater of, of the mind, like it really hits home because it just gets into this strange, it, disturbing stuff that I think people in the 30s and 40s must be losing their mind. And it was a late night show, too. Yeah, I mean, welcome back, Gabe. The, Thank uh, you. Yeah, look, we're no guarantees on the Wi-Fi here. I'm no I'm, problem. Buddy. I'm in yeah. rural Florida. You know, uh, probably a fucking alligator bit. Yeah, Gabe's. Uh, you know, Gabe's uh, black and white is not intentional this week because he's in. Yeah, it's just like yeah, they. That's all they've got here. You know, like it, he'll be. Yeah, you'll be on the show later via ham radio. So yeah, we'll no, absolutely. I'll I'll, 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 I'll I'll mail you a wire recording. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I we're we're talking obviously about uh, lights out's radio years before we get to the TV show, Gabe. Yeah, how inventive it was, and and really took advantage of it being a sound show. I mean, Obler, there's a great episode of the radio show where you hear a body turn inside out, and and I have read descriptions of how they were like breaking a wicker basket very slowly to simulate the bones cracking as he's turned inside out and that they're stretching a rubber glove right. in water. And that's again, how they, I mean, it's just I, like it, that great uh, Orson Welles uh, movie from the seventies where they take the pickle jar and they open it in the toilet bowl to make it sound like the Martian capsule is opening for water. Sure. Sure. Right. 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 You know, yeah. that kind of inventive Foley uh, radio stuff, you know, yeah. Did you so? Did you talk about Willis Cooper, the uh, the the, the original guy? Yeah. I mean, I I, I did think it was interesting that he uh, was. Um, I mean, he he did create the show, and it, it was his idea that the you know that a show like this could work, and it was before the other things like Inner Sanctum, right? Right. Uh, and yeah, it went um, back to the late thirties. Yeah, and well, yeah, it was uh, 30, uh, 34. Like they. Oh wow. You know, yeah, I mean, like really early stuff. Uh, and John, I'm, I'm impressed by your expressive lighting. I, I the uh, the this this uplighting thing is good. Well, you know why we're doing uh, it, of course, because of uh, night lights out, uh, creepy narrator. There he absolutely, is, absolutely, absolutely, Jesus, like uh, uh, kind of kind of like uh, Buster Keaton uh, after a bender. That guy is it's like he is there's something just about the presentation of him that is genuinely sort of creepy, even though he's basically saying goofball things. Could uh, you but, intercut that into an eighties music video? Oh, and, sure. And no yeah. one would blink and oh, be like, absolutely. Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. It would be a, um, a, like in a montage on night flight. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, but, and especially the, the Rathbone episode that incorporates his narration into the plot. Yes, that is, that is, crazy. That is that one of the crazy. greatest things I may have ever seen on television. Where this dude lights out, he doesn't have a name, I guess. He's just called the narrator. Yeah. But he's like the Rod Serling of this show. 
And there's an episode, the one with Basil Rathbone, like it starts with him talking and then they pull out and he's on a TV and the characters go, turn this off. We're tired of it. And, but then it gives them the inspiration for the episode. Yeah, like, it, it is pretty nuts. It's like, hey, we, we, we should do an episode of Lights Out, guys. Yeah, um, that was, uh, wasn't it Dead Man's Coat? Isn't that it? is yeah, Dead yeah. Man's Coat. Yeah, yeah. That, so that that actually is, that one was written by Willis Cooper, the, the original guy. I'm not, I wasn't entirely clear if that was an adaptation of a radio play that they had already done or if it, but he, he has that the sole credit. So presumably he adapted it himself either way. Well, that's but, the thing. Um, like I said, Obler gets a lot of the, you know, recognition for the later episodes, but really Willis Cooper was very capable of writing this uh, show like this, which to me reminded me not only of subsequent uh, other, other shows, I'm sure it was Poe inspired, especially the way it ends, but it reminds me a lot of like um, tales from the dark side or that Orson Welles seventies horror anthology yeah. And it had that kind of Edgar Allan Poe kind of buried alive. Right. Although, okay, so in this episode, the you know, Dead Man's Coat, like, so what the plot of this is that he, they hear about this idea about how if you put on a dead man's coat, you become invisible or something. And like, it, like I, this, I, I realize, John, I know you like, you enjoyed this. And it's not that I didn't enjoy it. It is goofy fun. But yeah. it's also a little bit like a child making up a story, you know? Like a lot it, of me feel like childish in a good way. I think. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I don't exactly disagree with that. I mean, I think that it is kind of like a you know, but that sort of stream of consciousness feel. I mean, and by all indications, uh, certainly Arch Obler apparently would write scripts in like thirty minutes and you know send them out the door and stuff like that. So that is a stream of consciousness, I would assume. Certainly, there's not a lot of polishing there. But the, um, but like just this idea, the 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 idea that they put on. He, he so they go and they you know they dig up the the dead guy and he puts on the coat and then he's invisible because he puts on the coat and then the uh, and the, but. The in in the fun like the way the plot functions, what what is what difference does it make if he's invisible? Like everything he does, he could just do if he were visible. It wouldn't have made any damn difference at all. And then at the end, when he's stuck in a uh, you know uh, in a mausoleum or whatever it is, what yeah, what, yeah. so like uh, a the art department did not read the script, right? Like that they 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 say over and over and over again that he could cut through the bars. There are no bars in that uh, on that door. It's a big like you know metal thing with some you know decorative sl slit things in it. Uh, but here's the thing: why doesn't he just take off the damn coat? Just take off the coat and go. Hey, sorry, somebody uh, trapped me in this mausoleum. Right, please, this please let me out. Here. You know, like it, the 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 twist ending is so lame but here's a absolutely step back and um so the lights out show i have never seen a maybe a cheaper production of genre ever and given the stuff we talked about captain video and all that that is yeah. saying something but yes this show so much of the genre stuff is unseen and it's whether right. it's it, invisible or ghosts okay. that are pushing books off a shelf. Hold on, though. Right. Some of it is unseen because they are utterly incompetent at directing yes. the show, right? Like okay. it, it is unseen. There, you know, there was the other another episode that we watched that uh, that had Veronica Lake in it. 
I genuinely, I mean, the opening scene of it, I couldn't figure out where we were. I couldn't figure out like, uh, you know, like yeah. what the context of this was. And when her character is introduced, she just kind of walks in from behind the camera. Well, and you right. hear her voice before. Yeah. Is she going to be a ghost? Is she going to be unseen? But that's, well, but that's the thing. I mean, it was about her uh, being uh, potentially a, a Oh my god, well, I, I can, no, no, but I, I am, I have genuine admiration for you, you justifying like, the, that working that way. No, for real, that's great, like, the, the idea that, 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 like, their sort of technical and creative incompetence would lead to, would reinforce the idea of the story. It's good, it's a good interpretation, I'm not joking. Uh, but listen, I mean, I'm not joking. Fiction. I'm not joking. That's actually, I just thought of it as incompetent, but that's actually, yeah. you're right. That it kind of works for the story. There was a lot of tension in that scene. Cause we didn't know if he would inflate his mattress in time. Yes. This is a show By that way, part- hit that protagonist. Uh, here he is. Honestly, from the start, it's like DC could say this is an early interpretation of Dr. 13. Yeah, he's well, this skeptical investigator that on the on the one hand doesn't believe in ghosts and is faced with it and stuff. Honestly, my immediately I went to Doctor Thirteen. Yeah, although there's a, you know absolutely and you know or whatever archetypical sort of thing where it's a skeptic investigator and a paranormal situation and absolutely yeah totally no I don't disagree. I mean except that uh, that particular episode seemed like I mean I think I believe. It was supposed to be a comedy. Of course, I think, it was. Of course, okay. it was. That was not entirely clear. Clear. <laughs> like, well, again, uh, that's what's amazing. As a radio show, this show is smart, inventive. Yeah, yeah. Used audio in these amazing, creative ways, and literally, it does a one eighty on TV. And like Ian said, it's literally what like time for beanie just gets edged out for production values the yeah and it's with lights out right and it's also do it has to do 180 degrees different it has to show things on some level right but they're not quite able i mean they they're they ain't orson wells over there right like they're not it's not like they're like able to uh to to charismatically get the visuals across right yeah this isn't macbeth no it it seems like there it's a I, I guess it's a three camera show. It looks like a two camera show. And the, you know, and like show. it's uh and these cameras were I mean they look like they like they were framed up by chimpanzees. Like it's it just it's, <laughs> like it it just and I don't have it look, I I did my research. I don't have any I don't have any like uh information. I, I don't I don't have any evidence that it wasn't an all chimpanzee crew. Yes, because there like, was a brief it, point in the 40s. They were experimenting <laughs> with having chimpanzees. It was the early days of television. They were know, figuring yeah. all this shit out. There was a rule that said you can't hire chips to do <laughs> yeah. that. Work. I mean, yeah. it's, it, I mean if it came to union issue later, we'll do a whole episode about this, This you know, the other kind of special episode Being about the chimpanzee situation later. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, like, it's the, yeah, the, I we have not watched a show where, like, okay, production values can be low, but it is possible to frame a shot no matter what, right? And over and like throughout this entire thing, it was like the they it felt like almost 
you know, like there are these kind of semi-apocryphal, but like, you know, stories about live television, about like everything going wrong or, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it kind of just feels like the camera operators, everything went wrong for them most of the time through every episode. It was, I, <laughs> I would say it was a little refreshing to see like live TV go wrong and people go yeah. through because one thing that's been enjoyable about the show is you see people do the tightrope walk of live TV and all the stuff with, you know, these amazing productions like the comedian and Requiem for heavyweight. Yeah. But that tightrope walk doesn't have tension. If you don't sometimes see people fall from the tightrope. hundred percent. I think that this is a, I'll bet though, chimpanzees aside, I think that what this was, was a tiny stage, right? I'll bet they were on a tiny stage with a couple of cameras. And because so much of the time there are these shots where, you know, it is, this much of somebody's face or the back of their head or, you know, like uh, the shots that seem, I mean, there are some of the virgin to artsy, right? Like it, you know, it, it, it could, you know, Stumble make, into it's, yeah, it's, right. it's uh, right. you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, it becomes like Gordon Willis uh, uh, thing over here uh, yet, you know, with some very odd framing, but you know, it's not. They just they just didn't. They were going fast, and they just didn't know what they were doing. I wanted to confirm that it was a network show and not a syndicated show. It was an NBC show. Um, yes. And that's, that's weird. Yeah. And it yeah. started in 46 on TV and only made it to 52. Yes. Well, no, no, no. But that's not exactly right, because the uh, in 46, they did uh, a series of, like, four specials, I believe. Oh. So like that, and those were um, those were produced by Fred Coe, uh, the kind of legendary producer of yes. uh, uh, you know the Playoffs ninety and everything later, and um, and then um, hold on, I have notes for this someplace, but uh, but it's uh, they um, so yeah, it you know he was the producer of Philco Playhouse and Playhouse ninety, Fred Coe, right. and then and then he was the initial producer also of the TV, the regular TV series. But the regular TV series didn't start until nineteen forty nine, so it wasn't oh. a continuously running show from forty six to fifty two or whatever. But and uh, again, I mean, the radio show preceded it, as we say, yeah. as early as thirty four, and w continued concurrent with the television show. And Obler was doing the radio show while Cooper. Was was running the the or was doing the radio show while Cooper was doing the TV show. Yeah, although I am super unclear on this because I didn't find a lot of information about Cooper actually working on the show apart from contributing some some episodes. So the um you know Fred Coe was the initial producer and then uh, and then uh, this guy Herbert um, something yeah, <laughs> uh, you know uh, took over uh, and you know like him and. Uh, this Lawrence Schwab Jr. was the guy who directed most of the episodes. And so if the family of Lawrence Schwab Jr. is out there and I'm just taking shots at him, I'm sorry. But the uh but like I'm still hearing uh, from Gary Lewis's people. I know. Look, I have not honestly Gary Lewis and the Playboys fans have not stopped, you know, like uh mm -hmm. harassing me over, over my negative comments. Um the uh but uh oh just want to say though that guy the uh the uh the host guy is named Frank Gallup. And uh, he later went on to uh, to be the um, uh, the announcer of the Perry Como show. But uh, <laughs> you did very guy. far for an actor with just a head. Yeah. 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 
So many actors, so many people said, oh, in Hollywood, you need a body. You need, you know, oh, four limbs. This guy right. broke no, that barrier. Just, he's a floating head. And yeah. the fact that he embraces that is probably what makes it work. He, you know, it was a big, uh, he broke down barriers for television for people um, just ahead. Just, just, yeah, and and a uh, lit candle. Right. Right. Cut to the lit candle. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so. Like, uh, but actually, the one one of the things that I wanted to talk about, uh, as far as Willis Cooper was concerned, is that like you know he only did the radio show for like a year or something at the very beginning, very early. and uh, and then uh, and but he kind of used that as a sort of launch pad to go to Hollywood and be a screenwriter, and like uh, and one of the movies he I mean he wrote he wrote three Mister Moto movies right the Peter Lorre uh, movies right it's kind of programmer movies, but he also wrote Son of Frankenstein, which is either like totally reviled by people or they love it. And love I'm in, it. I'm in the, I love it category because uh, the uh, it's, I think the movie is crazy and hilarious and, but also sort of weirdly affecting. And uh, you know, so, uh, and I had no idea that, uh, you know, the connection, the lights out, you know, son of Frankenstein connection. So uh, and also and, that, uh, yeah, we, get we got the Basil Rathbone connection there too. Absolutely. Okay. So was this shot in New York or LA? Cause we, one the, okay, that's interesting because one of the notable thing is there's such well looking at it now it's it kind of fries your brain that this is such a cheap production like this feels like kids with a Super 8 camera level yeah uh, especially when you get to opening up a door and there's just a toy skeleton yeah. uh, hanging but childish Super 8 productions that have Veronica Lake. And Burgess Meredith in them, and that yes, it almost like your brain can't comprehend such a uh two you know such a well even Rath, 1950 Rathbone not that far from his MGM years and uh, no no you know although I, mean, I I think that of these that I watched the one with Burgess Meredith like just the oh. fact that Burgess Meredith was kind of a great actor and gave great. really great. really charismatic performance elevated that so much yes. because they're not uh, that you know we're not uh, it's it's the camera isn't impressing anybody it's you know it's about the script to, to, to some extent but like a performance is the thing that's going to make one of these work better than it's this. about the script because the first two acts are two guys sitting in a bar talking <laughs> to each other yeah yeah it's like marty yeah yes it's like Marty if one of the dudes was obsessed with Martians. Yes, exactly. Yeah, if and he was a tinfoil hat guy, yeah. yeah. And it's pretty uh, amazing, too, because the tone of the story and the type of performance he gives, 10 years later, he's doing it on Twilight Zone. Yes, yeah. Although, honestly, I kind of like this performance better than some yeah. of the Twilight Zone. Oh, There's yeah. an intensity to it, and uh, it's... I liked that episode quite a bit, actually. Like, I think of the ones we watched, that was the one that I thought was most. I effective. agree, and uh, and kind of worked in a, a broader sense, right? Like, it was his performance, but there was just better stuff in it. Even though you know the other there, actors were making. There was a less. moment where you're just looking at a bare set, waiting for the actors to show up. Yes, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> John Barragray, who is the other guy uh the journalist this is the story the martian eyes uh yeah. these two guys meet in a bar uh bear gray is a reporter Burgess meredith is a scientist and um 
Uh, supposedly, Burgess Meredith believes he can detect a Martian invasion with infrared glasses, and he can see a third eye in the middle of, of the head, and he eventually convinces uh, Barragray that his story is true, um, and it has a great kind of O. Henry twist ending. But Barragray, of course, you might remember from, uh, isn't he in the apartment? Billy oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't realize. I, I want to make sure that I'm gonna I'm gonna look him up to make sure that I'm right. Um, but and also I believe a soap opera actor of uh, sorts in subsequent years. Interesting. Uh, well, I do. I also about that episode. It's like, um, uh, it's it's kind of related to that Twilight Zone episode, right? How could you not? The you know, um, uh, or no, it's uh, just, it isn't ahead. Bear Gray. Bear Gray's the. Uh, Bear Gray is the uh, is the um, no. All right, now I'm confused. He might actually be uh, one of the other guys. It's David Lewis who who is in the apartment. Definitely, oh, okay. yes, yeah. So, uh, but uh, you know, and now it's escaping me. But the Twilight Zone episode where everybody is in the uh, Will the you know, real Martian stand up. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. You know, which is a similar you know thing mm-hmm. and has the third eye bit absolutely you know, as well. So, I mean. Whether Rod saw that or not, I don't know because I think that's a Rod Serling. But and it is a Rod Serling. Yeah. It's an early uh, example of that kind of uh, paranoid. What what would be a hallmark in Cold War storytelling of paranoia of body snatchers or aliens yeah. living among us with like the invaders and you know they live later. Like this is if it, it was like in the late forties, this has to be like a pretty early example of that. Very early, yeah. Certainly early for a filmed type thing. Did Rod Serling ever talk about like Lights Out as an influence? Or I have never read Rod Serling talk about any genre thing as an influence, right? I like, I mean, I, I he, you know, and I don't think that that's illegitimate. Like, he may have just been coming to it from a different angle, and that wasn't necessarily his concern. He's using it as a kind of platform to tell you know these allegorical stories. I don't know that I don't know that he was a huge genre fan necessarily, you know, but. I don't think that's bad at all. I think that, you know, uh, the, the, I think that there's an enormous, uh, you know, way, way, way too much that. Va- oh, right here. Yeah. Uh, way too much value is placed on the idea that some that, that the people who make stuff are fans of things rather than people who are, you know, artists and crafts people who can, you know, who can bring different sensibilities to genre and stuff. I just don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Um, and then there's also that other great uh, character actor, and I'm trying to look up his name, who plays the bartender briefly. Uh, it's uh, Pat O'Malley. And hold on one second. Here's Pat O'Malley. Mm. And, and that's a great young 1950 shot of Pat O'Malley. But you might remember on Dick Van Dyke, he was uh, one of Rob Petrie's dads and did a lot of party. How many dads did Rob have? Two. Uh, also, uh, Tom, uh, the guy for, who was the – Captain in the Kane Mutiny that Bogart oh. replaces. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tom Tully, I want to say. I think that's right. That sounds right. Tom Tully played Rob. Rob's dad in one episode, but mostly it was uh, 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 Pat. Um, sorry, I've got to get his name again. Pat O'Malley. O'Malley. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it did a couple Barney Millers, really good Barney Millers in the 70s. Great character actor. Fantastic. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, did you guys talk about uh, when, I, when I was uh, lost in the wilderness? Did you talk about uh, how Arch Obler, there's a, one of the big things that, that goes through Arch Obler's stuff is that he was kind of, you know, his kind of anti-fascist uh, liberal bent to, to, the, to the stuff that he wrote. Because, like, uh, he went, I mean, which, I mean, apparently on the radio show, he would write, you know, and he wasn't really involved in this TV show. Like, one of them was adapted. We watched, or at least I watched, I watched uh, John it. watched. Uh, yeah, the, I watched the yeah, Kent the, one. Yeah, the one with uh, Kent Smith and the, uh, Kent, and Kent, yeah, Kent, Kent Nelson is what? Like, uh, Dr. Fate, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Kent Smith is from uh, from Cat People, and he was in an episode of, uh, a couple episodes of The Outer Limits we covered. And uh, it's like where, it, which is an ad- an adaptation of one of the radio plays where they uh, where like there's three people in a car uh, the um, and it's certainly the way that it's presented in this is very heavy handed but the idea is that you know this sort of conflict between the two there's a there's a woman and these two guys are kind of fighting over her but one of them believes in negotiation and one of them believes in violence and they and that you know that those ideas are challenged when they seemingly are thrown back in time after finding the skull of a neanderthal with a you know bullet hole in its head or whatever uh they are throw somehow thrown back in time and uh, um, fight this actor who, like, they just they show they show this guy and they say, "I've never seen anything as hideous and inhuman as this." And it's like, dude, come on! It's just this actor making a goofy face, guy. you know? Like it, the poor guy. Come on! I just felt bad for him every time they would say how horrible he looks. But the. <laughs> but uh the uh yeah and so they they there's a sort of you know there's a twist ending there's a you know the the conflicts reverse themselves and you know uh the negotiation guy has to embrace violence or for them to survive but the but there's a kind of you know but a, the, that kind of allegorical writing or whatever i think is is a you know like a, a link to rod sterling for arch Obler. oh absolutely also he went on to make some interesting movies afterwards too particularly i recommend five which is this uh an in, he made these independent movies he was kind of he was a little bit of a trailblazer in making independent movies uh in the early 50s and he made this movie called five it was about uh uh, five people uh, surviving a nuclear apocalypse and uh, and it's all shot in this sort of modernist house out in the desert and it's uh, it's available out there I think it may be on Amazon Prime or something and I highly I mean it's not like it's the greatest movie ever exactly but it's a really interesting ambitious yeah. kind of art movie that I think is really cool and really worth worthwhile he was a really strong storyteller and God I even know there were uh, vinyl albums that were condensed versions of a lot of his lights out uh, yeah. or audio stories and stuff like cat wife and chicken heart and right. right. The one where people turn inside out. The, that know. one's called the dark. Well, apparently the only versions of the dark that survives are from the record albums. There you mm-hmm. go. The ones in the thirties, we don't have re- copies of. Right. Right. And so, I don't think there, I think there's only one thirties uh, radio show or one radio show from the Willis Cooper era that even survives. Like, Oh really? Uh, that, that's what I read. I don't know if that's true. I know Karloff was involved with the Cooper 
lights out show. Now, maybe not just, maybe it was just that one season. I don't know, but I know Karloff I, was involved. In I mean, out. yeah, I read the thing about Karloff being involved in lights out and he came and did a series of them. Uh, yeah. in, when it, they were, and those were for out of Chicago. Right. That's right. And, uh, the, but, and he did kind of like a series of four episodes or something, but I think that that was later. I think that that was in the, um, I, you, I could be wrong. I could be well, wrong. Maybe like those don't the, survive. I'm not sure. Well, Obler, you're right, was uh, – I mean, Catwife is definitely an Obler show. That's from 1938 uh, and had Karloff. And then uh, I guess in 47 he came back and did an episode called Death Robbery. Again, this is the radio show. Yeah. So. And some of those, though, apparently, you know, some of the later radio shows are, are you know, reinterpreting. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the early scripts, the, you know, so it's like they're, you know, some of those, you know, the – uh, the Willis Cooper scripts are kind of remade at different points along the line. And so I think it's just the literal ones that he produced from the, from 36 that aren't, aren't available. Cooper, Cooper was involved with the show from 34 to 36. Yeah. Obler took over then. I just read a quote that said Cooper, they made the, t- the rate, the TV show without Cooper's consent originally. And he said, I only found out about probably the Fred Coe specials reading about them in the newspaper. I see. Right. Right. So yeah, it doesn't, I mean, so it doesn't really, I mean, I know he did write some on there, but I don't, it doesn't seem like he was super involved in the TV right. show. So like, I think that what we're missing in the TV show, although I don't know that they would have been able to, to make a difference is the kind of powerhouse creative people behind the, you know, the show, right. Behind the radio show. But uh, I think that they, what this show also possibly needed was a, you know, somebody with a visual sense with that could have uh, interpreted the uh, sure. gone a little bit further with interpreting the 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 uh, the I, the theater of the mind aspect of uh, the radio show and making it work on TV. But look, they were figuring this shit out like 1946. They had TV in 1946, like it, you know, and we didn't see any of those. I don't think those even exist. I'm not sure. I I, I don't. I mean, unless they do, and I just couldn't figure it out. But uh, yeah, I don't know. But it's, uh, I mean, a lot of these, though, have that kind of, you know, grand guignol, however you say that, like, you know, sort of old fashioned. Yeah, just say it for me. It's fine. Uh, The uh, like, because I have no fucking idea. I can't. There's nothing about French that I can deal with. French. But uh, but like uh, the. you know, it just seems like there's that. But then I watched a later one that I don't think I sent to you guys, but it was uh, it was a 1951 episode that Ira Levin wrote, right? Uh, um, from uh, uh, it was a very Baby. early, yeah, uh, Rosemary's yeah, Baby, Stepford Wives, Wives, you know, uh, and it was a very early yes, Ira Levin did. thing. Yeah, and uh, he and it it was distinctly different from the earlier ones that all felt very thirties cause it felt very fifties. It had, I mean, it had John Forsythe in it, but, and it, you know, he played a uh, world war two vet who was having these kind of delusional episodes and, uh, and, uh, and had, like had the believed that this recurrent thing of like, he felt responsible for these people dying in the war and that they were somehow sort of haunting him. But it's, all approach from this very fifties psychological point of view, you know? And I think that that like, uh, you know, it's, so this, I think that the TV show straddles a weird area where, you know, where it's kind of, 
coming out of this 30s and 40s sensibility and but going into the 50s where things were very you know became kind of very different and the you know Ira Levin is very much a 50s writer you know very much somebody who's embracing sure. psychology and you know uh even if the, all those people way overstated the value of some of that stuff I, I do think that that it's like a transitional thing and I think that might be part of the weirdness of the show to me I'm with you I uh no, I was reading more, and um, they did they did buy a handful of Obler and Cooper scripts over the years. Also, um, about ten years after create, or actually about uh, thirteen years after creating Lights Out, uh, Cooper had another radio show that was another great uh, horror and suspense show. It was called Quiet Please, mm -hmm. and and that was a big deal for him as, as well as obviously screenwriting. Have you heard any of those? Uh, yes. I have not. Yeah, are the are the are they good stuff? Yeah. yeah, they're they're of that inner sanctum suspense quality, right? As far right. you know, you know, and more more I guess leaning towards inner sanctum in terms of that. Yeah, definitely lean more towards horror. Yeah, um, yeah. no, and again, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, uh, like you said, there's no, there is only the one episode that survives of uh, Cooper's Lights Out. Um, but uh, yeah, here in Chicago, they they play the hell out of uh, both Quiet Please and Lights Out. Because of the uh, strong sure, connection, sure. So, yeah, yeah, and it's Cooper uh, died early, pretty relatively young. He died in the mid fifties, and I still cannot figure out how. You know, like uh, I, I huh. think that, you know, uh, but uh, like I've seen it listed places, but and he died relatively young, but I didn't see any any indication of how. Um, but uh, yeah, Archer Obler though I think is an interesting figure that like is Agreed. probably way outside of the public consciousness at this point, but like, uh, but just, uh, he did, a, he did other genres successfully as well. I mean, he was, he was kind of like, uh, Norman, um, Corwin Corwin. Yeah. Corwin, yeah. In yeah. terms of being yeah. a very prolific radio writer. Yeah. Right. Right. And I did see, you know what I did see though? Like I'm, I'm going off on this whole thing with about Rod Serling, but I did see some reference to Rod Serling crediting, <laughs> you know, uh, um, Arch Obler and Norman Corwin as influences, right? So, I mean, oh. to some extent, it must have been an influence. I, I you know, yeah, uh, lights out. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and like I said, I mean, and truly beyond the obvious of light of uh, Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits. I mean, I really do think both more so the radio show, but even the TV show, and even in its limited way, you can definitely see connective tissue to. Tales from the Dark Side and other shows that obviously had a little bit more of a budget. Um, well, I, I would argue that Tales from the Dark Tales of the, from the Dark Side had basically the equivalent budget for the time period that it was made. <laughs> it, this just occurred to me, uh, John, bring up Tales from the Dark Side, which is a show that I have um, a bit of a fondness for because I have sure. a fondness for really cheap, honestly, kind of sleazy uh, anthology shows like this, like. Yeah. Tales from the Dark Side, Monsters, yes. uh, Perversions Dark of Alliance. Dark Room, uh, although Dark Room's a bit classy, uh, classier than these. Um, and I do think this might be the beginning of the cheap, like cheap feeling horror show that still leaves a lasting impression. Yeah. Because like something like what's the name of the Veronica Lake one? The is it just like the mystery oh, uh, one or something? The, uh, the Veronica Lake episode. It's yeah. called uh, "Beware This Woman." 
Okay. Where this woman I remember her name is Mercy Device. Yes. Uh, which is, that should have been the name of the episode. Folks, seek that episode out to see one of the strangest episodes of television you'll ever see yeah. in your life. You will, you'll have a hard time believing human beings made that. It, it's as opposed to people who are trying to be human beings. Well, and, and we're not, and not chimpanzees either, right? Yeah. Like, you know. yeah, <laughs> they try to affect uh, the the fact that uh, Veronica Lake's character is being uh, um, bothered by a poltergeist. Yeah, and it's very funny because there's a scene where uh, the the doubting scientist is is spending the night at Veronica's house, and he's has is doused by paper falling on him and i almost thought of god if they did that in modern day it would be like the bats swarming around christian bale in batman begins and you know it'd be much more much more effective with real special effects rather than literally dumping pages of paper out over him i mean it really was like you just these stagehands out of the camera shot just pelting him with the paper right but uh, yeah, I mean that. that, that the, I mean that episode is so odd and so like it is deliberately odd. I'm not gonna. I yes. mean, it, so there's that too. I mean, you know, it's just I don't think that those things are all working together. But like, you know, all of the the kind of ridiculous names and all that stuff. Right. I mean, it is intentional. But uh, and you know, I just I don't think the performances carry it off at all. You know, so like you're in a weird area where they're trying to be funny, but it's kind of also odd but it's been odder because of just the the production and the performances the kind of incompetent production and the performance yeah and and uh veronica lake is she is a striking woman but almost in a in a strange way this is gonna sound weird she looks like a drawing like she looks like someone drew her yeah, well, she also doesn't have exactly the iconic sort of Veronica like yeah. haircut, so yeah. uh, that like there's something always a little odd about that. Veronica Lake, I like, I literally, uh, you know, I have a couple of my you know favorite movies. Some people say that I say too many things are favorite movies of mine, but like Sullivan's Travels, great movie, absolutely Love one it. of my top movies yeah. ever. Right, like one of my favorite movies ever. She is so brilliant in that movie. Yep. She did nothing else yes. that would be enough. Right, so I'm I'm not dismissing Veronica Lake on any level. I think she was great, but uh, this was this is maybe not. And it, yeah, well, I mean, I think she had a lot of personal problems, you know, and I, and, you know, and I think that that's how she ended up, you know, in the matter of 10 years, uh, you know, going from making those relatively high profile movies and certainly being an iconic actress uh, to, uh, you Slumming know, being on this, this yeah. cheese ball TV show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, and again, yeah, it's weird. I'm sure to, stay with the times she changed her hairstyle, but really went yes. from that smoldering young, hot blonde look to God only knows what the hell this is. Yeah. It's, and, I mean, and, I, I think it's just something know. much more conventional for the time period, you know, and yeah. I'm sure that it was, you know, I mean, if, but I mean, imagine if anybody is like wearing their same iconic haircut for right. ever, you know, 15, it, and it yeah, becomes yeah, a little years, embarrassing. Right. Well, yeah. and it's ironic too because another great movie that she made was I Married a Witch. Well, I think it's a fun movie. Yeah, it's I Married a Witch. Yeah. I Married a Witch. And that's so, a much yeah. more competent uh, portrayal of a witch, and she's a witch yes. in that as well. Yeah. As opposed to uh, this really ridiculous story. Yeah. Right. Right. 
So, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, this whole show is like, it's, it's like, it's interesting. There's, it's not like it's not interesting. It is interesting. And certainly for being like a, you know, like at the earliest days of this stuff, you know, I mean, and yeah. you can, you can definitely, definitely they, they should get some, uh, uh, you know, some credit or, or, or something for the fact that this is, you know, this is a very nascent, thing right like there's yeah. they're really still figuring it out in 19 you know 1549 or whatever you know but also the willingness like tales of tomorrow another show that we looked at earlier to break the fourth wall and maybe you know do weird yeah here's, let me let me ask you a question this was a this very much the case in uh in dead man's coat that we broke the fourth wall why were we breaking the fourth wall in that like i mean yes in the tv part of it where we pull back the yeah. parts where like characters just like slowly turn towards the camera and stare right. at it. What the hell was going on with that? Like, did that, did you have a sense of what they were trying to do there? Cause I did. I did. No. Um, but uh, I guess we can just say they were trying things, right? Like lights, um, out, lights out crawled. So twilight zone and outer limits could walk. Is yes. yes. What it comes down yeah. to. Yes, and just before Tales of the Dark Side to fly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when television show, reached its pinnacle. Remember the, from the show dark side. where a woman thought uh, fruits and vegetables were talking to her so she wouldn't eat them? That is maybe one of the... I, I think that's wonderful television. I don't remember that, and I'm going to seek it out and watch it right now. Because <laughs> that sounds amazing. It's <laughs> like, bizarre episodes of television you'll see in your life where, like puppets that are just like pears and apples yeah uh, are these things of uh kind of it becomes kind of a gro grotesquerie at the end that sounds great I, I, i'd watch that yeah uh so yeah so absolutely the um uh i don't know that uh tales from the, uh, tales from the dark side reaches the uh freddy's nightmares level of uh of well, you know a creative success but whatever yeah Toby Hooper directed the pilot of Freddy's Nightmares. You mean Toby Hooper? Toby. No, it's it's Tobe. Is it's it Tobe? No. Tobe? When you're close to it's him, it's Toby. It's Toby. Uh, yeah, we're kidding. I'm kidding. But yeah, <laughs> I was saying, because Ian's close to him, so you can call him Tobe. Of course. Yes. Close? Yeah. Dead. He's, yes, he is dead, but he, he was he I did see. Dead. I did see it's him possible. and... I did see him and William Freakin uh, introduce uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Did <laughs> where William, no, go ahead, sorry. William Freakin, yeah, at the at the Vista in L.A. Um, and they they so uh, the Vista is near a is Umami Burger like a chain that people know because they're okay because there's a in, few in Chicago. In LA. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, it started in L.A. Uh, they had apparently eaten there before the going to the screening and uh William at the end of it William Freakin says now this is an umami burger of a movie holy <laughs> shit uh, apparently <laughs> William Freakin would like take people to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and say like you have to see this movie yeah uh, well that doesn't surprise me but yeah the uh, yeah and they're the, contemporary so that makes sense and, yeah yeah and it's you know I mean I think that 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 totally makes sense I yeah. did he call him Tobe that's what I want to know. I fucking don't remember. I don't think he ever called the name. That's my uh, favorite color in the 64 crayon uh, box. Yes. yes. Yeah. 
I, Tobin I like I like Tope, but Tobe. That's that that it, it's it's one better. <laughs> it's it's somewhere uh, between I, Tope and uh, Sienna Nevada. Nevada. I the the two colors in the in the the new Dune movie, Tobe and Tope. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Oh, guys, when are we going to do the Freddy Nightmares? Uh, it's next. It's next. Yeah. Freddy's Nightmares. Guys, yeah. remember uh, that episode of Freddy's Nightmare where the cook, uh, like his fingers, just start falling off, and and they, and they fall off on the. I saw that when I was a kid, late <laughs> at night, and I thought about it maybe every day. For the, <laughs> Five years of my life. <laughs> to balance it out, there's a Lights Out episode. I mean, these all sound like they should be Halloween episodes, but in Lights Out, there's one where uh, guys have dreams that they're the three wise men going to see Jesus, and it ends with them back in their apartment, and they smell frankincense and myrrh in their apartment. All right. Well, that's I wouldn't know what those smelled like, so I may have just missed out on a twist like this in real life. You never know. Gee, it smells like frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or it's saddle uh, wood from my uh, soap collection. I'm not yeah, sure. or the or the black mold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there you go. Right. So I think we did it, right? Like, no, we did. Uh, it. I it's. Let me just say, I'm in Florida, so it's three hours later than we normally record this for me. Oh God, God and God, that's God. why I why I'm sleepy. So I, I right, just, we can I be done. Want to apologize? No, no. I'm just I'm just saying for my my sleepy performance that that's no worries, man. Are we, well, there we go. Just, there was just an endless gap of silence there, so I assume we're done, right? Much we're like done. lights out, just there just be gaps of silence. Yes, because they couldn't figure out where to get the camera. We forgot they were what should be going on. Yes, it's all true. All right, all right. So join us next time. When we don't know what the fuck we're going to talk about, right? Because we, we never talked have, about it, right? We didn't have the production meeting because it's no, Christmas. No, no production meeting. Christmas, I'm in some other state across the country. It's We didn't have the production meeting. I'm sorry. We'll just have to figure it out. He's he's in the state of Florida and the state of confusion. So yes. uh, you'll, you'll pardon the game. But uh, join us next week for another great episode of Kinescope when we look back at live television. Take care, everybody. Thanks for watching and good night. <laughs>